associated with several interviews with um, Christian leaders regarding some of the issues of our day uh, with a series that relates to Christians being disproportionately affected by conspiracy theories. This is something I've been concerned about for several weeks, as I've noticed a lot of the posts on uh, Facebook and Twitter and a lot of the responses, emails that I get on a daily basis. So, as I said earlier, sadly, Christians have been disproportionately fooled by conspiracy theories, it seems. And I've noticed before that, that when Christians are associated with spreading slander or things that aren't true, they, they need to deal with that and repent of, of what can even be stated as lying or bearing false witness. Uh, sharing news that's fake makes us look foolish and harms our witness and harms the cause of the Lord. Social media news feeds are not trusted sources, and any news program or so-called on a green screen is not a trusted source, no matter if the person who's an individual is a doctor or a scientist who's using anecdotal information uh, without the true scientific method being applied. And I would be very careful about looking at YouTube for those who call themselves a news program or try to portray themselves uh, as such when it's no more than just one person or very few people trying to appear uh, more organizational than they really are. Now, anything that suggests a secret knowledge or touts some cure-all magic bullet that's only known by a select and powerful few and is being held back by those same powerful influences should be questioned strongly uh, by Christians. You, you do not see this sentiment in Scripture by any of the apostles or the Lord himself. And gullibility is not a Christian virtue or a spiritual gift. Believing and sharing conspiracies doesn't give the Lord any honor. It makes you feel better for a while, like you might be in the know, but it can end up harming others, and it can hurt your testimony as well as your own ability to then filter information in the future and dealing with the pride of having made certain statements. I myself had to just do a retraction podcast concerning some of the things that I stated in March and April that were just incorrect because I had insufficient information and had made some assumptions that I shouldn't have. Now, believing cut, uh, Ed Setzer says that uh, commercial scams have claimed uh, to offer at-home tests, supposed preventatives, miracle cures, and several religious groups have claimed that somehow their faith will protect them from the virus. Some people have claimed that the virus is a bioweapon or purposefully leaked from a laboratory, a population control scheme, the results of spy operations, or the effects of 5G upgrades on cellular networks. These are some, some stunning and, and bizarre conspiracy theories uh, about biological warfare, nefarious vaccine plots, plots to wipe out religious liberty. And mind you, I understand that the government is not the friend of true Christianity, um, but the idea that there is some uh, single person group or committee that is sitting in Washington trying to particularly uh, destroy the First Amendment seems a little bit far-fetched, despite some of the individuals who I'm sure that are socialists that would like that scene. Um, 
the scripture is really clear about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 17, when we're told to be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Christians should be the wisest, most reasonable people around. And I have the question for myself and others, is the focus on Jesus, his kingdom, and eternity, or is it on you, your kingdom, and temporal politics or national issues? Now, I will be the first to stand in line and say that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Go back and ask Jewish people in the 500 B.C. who were in Babylon or Persia, and they'll tell you that you need to make sure that your nation is safe and guarded and defended with boundaries. Because through their wickedness, after hundreds of years of prophets, they found out that disobeying the Lord and giving in to the culture would certainly lead to bondage. Just as a note uh, regarding knowledge, research on Twitter or Facebook posts is not research. There is no authority or accountability there. If the person that you're quoting doesn't have accountability, have a reputational issue if they state things that are wrong, a state license or a state board to answer to, and if this work that they do or the, the things that they purport are not based on years of labor, discipline, study, and practice, I would be careful to question their, quote, research. It continues to surprise many of us and disappoint us how common that even slander is among some Christians uh, toward people they don't even know. Uh, And the same of us who defend the authority of the Bible that tells us not to bear false witness are sometimes guilty of doing that with those that we perceive are our enemies. We can't use a moral equivalence or situational ethics to justify our own behavior, uh, Ed Setzer says. And sin, he says, isn't relative or comparative. There's a higher standard on us even than the journalist. Scripture says in John eight thirty two, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You and I can't speak the truth unless we have the truth, and we shouldn't speak the truth even if we know we have it. If we don't speak it in love and meekness, according to Scripture, listen to this: First Peter three fifteen. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Lord, help. Also, Second Timothy 2.25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, in this podcast, I am very conscious of the fact that because of some of my concern that I could even be Uh, without a healthy fear or respect and without meekness. And I certainly don't want to do that. I want to do this in a spirit of love and drawing some people away from the cliff edge of suspicion and mistrust and doubt and fear and anxiety back toward the light, hope, joy, love, and peace. So I've had to really ask forgiveness. I've talked to three pastors just today about this issue and about how convicted I have been about especially my attitude back in March and April, just concerning the politics of this. As a conservative, I feel very much put upon by the vast majority of the news media. But I've got to be honest, is that's not very satisfying, and I find myself constantly angry. So I finally just cut the news off. Uh, a lot of my conservative commentators I've stopped listening to because it seems that the whole goal is just to work us up and to keep us listening the next day, and I wind up at the end of the day angry and almost exhausted mentally, worried about things that I have no control over other than when it comes time to vote every two or four years. Now, I want to clarify something, and that is, why am I speaking specifically to Christians? Because these political games should not be played by those of us in the kingdom. We have a king, 
And we need to serve him rather than focus constantly on the temporal politics of this world. Not that they're unimportant. The Bible is full of political directives to those of us. And yes, there is a time and place if we're commanded to do something that's against God law specifically laid down in Scripture that we should have a respectful civil disobedience. You can look at the first chapter of Daniel and see how the right way to do that is. Ed Setzer goes on and he talks about Christian websites. He quotes a story about a Christian website um, that basically focused on Christians because he knew that if he mentioned anything negative about Hillary Clinton, anything positive about uh, the president-elect Trump, uh, if he made claims regarding some conspiracy to keep the truth uh, out of people's hands, that it was going to be more easy to fool Christian people than those who were more secular. Now, what credibility does it lend to our words if in one hour over 100,000 people who call themselves Christians hit this site and spread time and time again lies that were told about a political issue in Washington that was never proven to be true and was disproved, even if it was talked about on our favorite conservative news outlets over and over and over? It's interesting that when we see these things, very seldom we see an open and a sincere apology for getting it wrong. We do not need to participate in this. When we spread conspiracy theories and news that's not real, we discredit ourselves and we allow the gospel and our very Lord to be discredited as well to those who so need the hope of the very truth that we have and that we live in. Now, yes, there are some media outlets, and I would say most national media outlets mischaracterize Christians, and many are biased and do sloppy or agenda-driven type reporting. But not all of them do. And regardless, this doesn't mean that we should be so desperate to find stories to prop up our own worldview that we indiscriminately accept anything that supports the person that we like or, on the other hand, disparage the person that we don't. We should be those who seek truth no matter what and show discernment and calm, joy, love, faith, relaxation, because that's what the world wants to see. We're living in a stew of anxiety and fear and doubt and inflammation out there from people who just don't know what to do and their nervous systems are driving them crazy. So to my Christian brothers and sisters, I say, if you spread, share, or post fake facts, you reflect on all of us in the faith, and that's bad for our Lord, His gospel, and it hinders the Great Commission. I want to go on and I want to share a a very brief devotion, and I have been doing some deep study for two uh, speeches and presentations that I need to give in the near future to religious groups. And I want to remind you, uh, we if we do not or cannot confirm a story as proven truth by at least three sources from varied locations, and this is a scriptural tenet of wisdom, then we ought not share it. We ought not share anything that we can't prove. And I see very little or no proof in the scientific or the even biblical uh, edict about proving all things and holding fast that which is good by 99% of what's shared with me on text and email or on Facebook. If our friends and family can't trust us with the type of information that's true and reliable and helpful, what are they going to listen to when we try to give them a hope of eternity? Why is it then that Christians seem to dwell in conspiracy theories? I've been doing research about things all the way back to the 1800s, and I've got article after article that deals with this. Because it meets a psychological or spiritual need that people have, whether their need is to feel in control 
or established that they have no control so that they can give up their responsibility and withdraw. There's a list of associations that involve most conspiracy theories. And that is, just like most other things, conspiracy theories meet a need for someone to have either satisfaction, comfort, a sense of stability, or to feel valued. For those who are anxious in troubled times, conspiracy theories often give them comfort. For people who are insecure or have a poor self-image, it gives them a sense of validation, identity, and self-worth to be part of some in-group that has some secret knowledge that makes them feel special. For those who feel like the situation is out of control, a conspiracy theory may say, well, you don't have any control, but others are in control of you. But at least then there's a sense of order and they can give up the, the attempt to gain control of their own situation by their own action. So consider, and this is a personal question, I want you to consider how many confident, successful people that you know who are involved in conspiratorial theory generation or propagation. Now, we do, as Christian people, know that there are several things that are true that lend themselves to Christian people looking around for evil around the corner. Number one, we know that the world will get worse, not better, 2 Timothy 3.13 and Matthew 24.12. Number two, we know that there is corruption in the world's high places and that there is a malevolent spiritual power working behind the scenes named Satan. That's Ephesians 6.12. We know that there is an all-evil world leader coming called the Antichrist, and that's in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Number four, we understand that men are innately bad, not good, Romans three twelve and Psalm 14, 3. Number five, we know that we live in a fallen world and that its power systems are dominated by satanic influence, greed, and all that is selfish, and the love of money, Ephesians 2, 2. Number six, we understand that the world is on a collision course with God and that judgment is coming to a world that hates the Lord and His Christ and those who call themselves Christians. Psalm 2 2, Colossians, Colossians 3 6, and Revelation 6 16 to 17. And we understand that we are hated by this world system. Matthew 24 9 and John 15 18 to 25. Also, there are in the Bible mentioned, and I'll talk about this later. Real conspiracy issues, and it's called conspiracy even in the King James Bible. So we'll deal with that later. But this one to seven item list that I just gave you, uh, all of that is anathema and heresy to progressives and one world leftists who believe that men are innately good and that through evolutionary and human selectivity and the progressiveness all the way back from Rousseau in the 18th century – that men are going to get better by evolutionary improvement and that societies are progressive, which always leads to socialism. So there is some political concern that anybody that's sensible ought to have. Now, I want you to note that at ChristianityToday.com, Ed Stetzer, E-D-S-T-E-T-Z-E-R, you can find a lot of the articles that I quoted from. Now, to close in this podcast number one, I want to address in the final segment of this, in this time of COVID, the political rage, fear, social unrest, and anarchy, starting with this title. What about the enraged, troublemaking, post-sharing, fire-stirring Christian who's trapped in their current worldview? James 3.13 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or a good lifestyle. His works with meekness of wisdom. I did some research on that word works, and what that means is someone who works with their own hands good things. 
It means a real wisdom that's associated with meekness, that meekness of wisdom. It means a true wisdom that knows how to handle information rightly. It's going to be shared in a meek spirit. Guys, I got to tell you, we don't see that right now. We see people that post with absolute opposite of meekness, pride, arrogance, anger, um, a, a sense of divisiveness. The the word that's used there is called praitis, and it means mildness, humility, and meekness. What about the political activist Christian? Psalm one eighteen eight to nine says, "It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes." We are not going to get our ultimate needs met through politics or national policy. And I'll deal with this more later regarding how we should view politics. And I'm going to have uh, not one, but two podcasts from different pastors that relate to how they're teaching their congregations about this. And I'm really looking forward to this over the next week or two. First Corinthians 3.3 and Romans 13.13 13 have a phrase that leads into my main point and the thing that made my hair stand up on my arm and convicted me deeply. 1 Corinthians 3.3 says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? In other words, if Christian people are acting like the world and are in envying and strife and causing divisions, he said, are you not just like the world and live just like the lost world? Romans 13.13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Is it not interesting that he compared a purporting and a sharing of strife and a sense of jealousy and negativity toward others, along with drunkenness and rioting and fornication and evil behavior? Those of us who are conservative Christians have just been furious at some of the rioting and some of the behavior that we would call wanton but we have participated in strife and envying in our words, what we share, what we post, how we act, what we watch, what we put in our mind, and what we say with our mouth. In our own houses, we are stirring up strife, and we are wasting precious time that we're never going to get back again. And this leads to my main point, James three fourteen, fifteen, and 16. I want you to hear this. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. If you notice, over and over you hear the phrase, envying and strife. I did a study about what the original writers, what Paul himself was saying, and the word that is used there for strife is the word that we get zeal from. It means heat. It's the zealot. And that's one of the apostles, if you recall, was a zealot. And I had a pastor tell me today, you know, Doc, uh, Jesus didn't encourage that zealot, did he? And I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I missed that. By the way, this zeal is is an ardor. It means a jealousy as well. It's like the jealousy of a husband over his wife honorably or of God over his people. Uh, it means to have malice as well, and it can mean uh, emulation. So when you look at the word envying and strife, it, it's got a very uh, powerful meaning, but usually it means a hot indignation that's jealous or angry that has a zeal to it. And that zeal 
is very often associated with political agendas. We talk about people being zealots, just like I just mentioned in Scripture. It's the same exact word. Now, the one that really got me and the one that I hope really changes the way you think and act as it has changed the way that I have thought and acted. The word for strife there is a very unique word that is only used in one sense in the New Testament that I can find, and that is the word erythia, and it's Greek word 2042 in Strong's Dictionary. What it means, and think about the way the verse reads again. Let's, let's listen to this again. But if ye, talking to Christian people, have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. See, he even starts to talk about how this envying and strife, this heat and debate, this erythia and zelos, is a heart issue, and it causes us to glory in our own knowledge, and it causes us to lie ultimately. And then he says the kind of wisdom or the kind of knowledge that does that is not godly. It's from the devil in verse 15. And verse 16 says, And wherever this is, there is confusion and every evil work. Folks, have you ever seen a time of such confusion among Christian people? In churches, in Sunday school classes, in families. Now here's the, the kicker. The word erythea means intrigue. By implication, it means factions, contentions, strife. And it was used in the New Testament primarily for one idea and one activity, electioneering or intriguing for political office. Guys, my hair is standing up on end, and I hope yours is too. We have got to get the temporal political obsessions that we have under control because we serve a king, and we have an eternal kingdom, and we're going to live eternally for billions and billions and billions of years with that king, and we are throwing away the eternity of some people and the influence that we have for that king and his kingdom and eternity over issues that aren't going to matter a hill of beans in 40 years. And it hurts my feelings that I've been a part of, and I'm ashamed of myself. Now, what about the, the worldly, politically focused Christian? I want, to, I want you to hear this from Hebrews 13, because if, if you're struggling with this, and if this opens your eyes a little bit, I want you to think about the implication of what it is that we should believe and what we should focus on, because, folks, we have lost our way. There are so many Christians throwing away the opportunities for absolutely life-changing work and words and actions and thoughts and deeds right now, sitting and watching newscasts and just getting furious with things that they can't have a thing to do about for another six months or so. The Scripture says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, outside the city of Jerusalem, it means. Let us go, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. In other words, as we go out from the church and religious spheres, let us go out into the world like he did. And he, he goes on to say, Paul talking to the Hebrews scattered around Asia Minor, he said, For here in this earth we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Guys, for two months, I had a lot of sacrifices with which God was not well pleased. You know how much easier it is to get frustrated and distracted by what others are doing far away than it is to just look in the mirror and deal with who we are looking at right there in front of us. And I think it's time we start doing that. So I'll close with this. What is the praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing in your life right now? 
The Scripture does not say the fruit of the Spirit is suspicion, anger, negativity, foolishness, backbiting, rebellion, doubting, blaming, pessimism, criticism, and gullibility. Against such there is no reasoning or hope. That's not what the Scripture says. The gifts of the Spirit have the 180-degree opposite to do with how a lot of us have acted over the recent crises in our culture. Psalm 107.22 says, And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. We can't rejoice and be thankful and complain at the same time. And I believe that complaining and a lot of how we act and a lot of what we pour into ourselves right now is doing nothing but causing complaining and strife and envying. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. So even in the times of tribulation, he says rejoice. Galatians 6, 4, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. I think a lot of us just need to get a good case of mind in our own business and dealing with our work every day and our home and our house and our family and our health and our church and those people that we really have influence over. 1 Thessalonians five fifteen to 18 says this, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever following that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Give thanks. Rejoice. Don't stop praying. Be happy. Do the will of God, because if you'll do those things, you won't have time to complain. You won't have time to get excited about what's going on in Washington or Portland or Seattle or Chicago. And life will get a lot more peaceful with a lot less muscle tension, a lot better sleep, a lot better family relations. And all of the things that we say we want, we'll have more of and God will be more pleased with the sacrifices of that kind of thanksgiving. And remember, remember what Nehemiah told the people when they were in a time of political stress. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Now, there's a lot to think about there. There's going to be a transcript available. I have so much enjoyed sharing this with you, but mostly what I've enjoyed is having my heart and mind changed. I am so tired of being angry about all of this, and it is high time that we go about our Father's business and stop worrying about these things that are going to be gone in just a few years and never matter, because our children are watching, and the world is depending on seeing a difference in us compared to that very world. So I look forward to seeing you next time with part two. Thanks again for your attention. And remember, we really do this to bless and to serve you.